there it there it was there it was there it was right there in his backyard back in May of 2018 Matthew Emmanuel who lives on Staten Island in New York City saw a silver box in his backyard covered by a bunch of trees that for four years he believed was nothing more than an electrical box but it turned out to be a well it turned out to be a safe it turned out to be a treasure it actually was a treasure box Matthew says he realized this after some deer began eating the foliage around the box and he hired some guys to come in and replace the trees and remove the box. You see, inside this box or this 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 safe were thousands and thousands of dollars, including several wads of hundred dollar bills. It also had inside of it gold and diamonds, and it also had a piece of paper in it with an address that he recognized to be the address of one of his neighbors. And so Matthew went to the home of his neighbors, and he, and he asked them if they had been robbed possibly in the last few years, and they told him, yes. <laughs> they said they actually had their home broken into Back in 2011, and the police also confirmed this to Matthew, and he had no problem giving them their items back. He said that those things never belonged to him in the first place. He had a treasure. He had a treasure right in his backyard. And let me just ask you, has it ever happened to you before? Has it ever happened to you before in your life? Have you ever discovered in your own life that you had in your possession a treasure or something very valuable. It could have been something that you initially purchased for very cheap at a garage sale or at a yard sale. It could have been discovering the value of a painting or a gun that someone left you once they died. It could have been an old baseball card or an old basketball card. Or maybe you discovered that you had an old rookie Tom Brady football card. It could have been even a a person could have been a person could have been a very special person that you were blessed to meet and and know and, and build a relationship with in your life as you think about that this morning I want to ask you to do something for me I want to ask you to go in your Bible to first Samuel chapter 25 please go in your Bible to first Samuel chapter 25 I want you to turn there in your Bible because what I have just described for you is exactly what happens to David in this chapter. For those of you who are members of this congregation, the Monta Vista Church, remember for the last several months, at least once a month, at least once a month, we've been considering a sermon from the life of David. We've been considering sermons about his life and his character and why the Bible describes him as a man after God's own heart. Over the last few months, we have seen David experience great high moments in his life and also great low moments in his life. We've seen him be anointed by the prophet Samuel and handpicked by God to be the next king of Israel. We've also seen him be blessed by God to defeat the Philistine giant Goliath on the battlefield and to achieve great success as a military leader in Saul's army 
We've also seen, unfortunately, him become a target of King Saul. We've also seen King Saul transform from being a friend and an advocate of David to being consumed with jealousy and resentment and bitterness and constantly chase David from place to place throughout Israel because he wants to kill David. In fact, if you remember in our sermon last month from the life of David, we studied in 1 Kings or 1 Samuel, I'm sorry, chapter 24. Remember in 1 Samuel 24, we studied about the time when Saul began pursuing David and in Gedi. Remember that? Remember in the wilderness of Engedi, a wilderness full of caves that was not far from the Dead Sea, Saul pursued David with his army, and he was almost killed by David. David had a great opportunity to kill him. He had a great opportunity to kill Saul as he covered his feet in the cave, in the very cave where David was hiding with his men. In that moment, David could have got some vengeance. He could have got some vengeance against this man who had done him wrong, who was full of jealousy and bitterness and resentment and who had made his life a mess. David could have killed Saul right there in that cave, but instead he chooses not to do that. He chooses not to kill Saul, but instead he displays integrity. He displays kindness and grace and he chooses to spare the life of God's anointed. This will actually not be the last time that David chooses to spare Saul's life. He actually is going to choose to spare Saul's life again in 1 Samuel 26. But before you get to that chapter, there's something very interesting and important that happens to David in this chapter, in 1 Samuel chapter 25. You see, here in 1 Samuel 25, the chapter begins by telling us that Samuel, Samuel has died. Samuel has died. The man who wore so many different hats in the service of God. Remember, he was a prophet and a priest and a judge. This man has passed away and all of Israel is mourning him. All of Israel is grieving the death of Samuel and David still running around all over the place. He, he's still running around from Saul. He's hiding from Saul. And him and his men have to, well, they got to scratch out a living. They got to find a way to make some money. They got to find some employment. In fact, they actually find some employment as kind of security guards for ranchers and shepherds. You see, as ranchers and shepherds tended to their flocks, David and his men would give them protection. They, they would protect these men from the dangers of the wilderness, dangers against things like wild animals and thieves. In fact, one such man that they would render this service to was a man named Nabal. Nabal. In verse number two, Nabal is described for us. Nabal is described as a man who lived in Carmel and he was very wealthy. He, he is a very rich man. He has a lot of flocks. He has a lot of herds, but he's also very evil. He is a bad man. He is an evil man. He's the kind of man who is very hard and difficult to get along with. You see, when the time came for Nabal to begin shearing his sheep, David sent 10 men to Nabal and he respectfully, he respectfully requested payment 
from Nabal for his services. He, he respectfully asked Nabal to pay him for protecting his investments, to pay him for protecting his shepherds and, and his flocks and his herds. And Nabal responded to that by saying, no. He said, no, I'm not paying you anything. He even insulted David. He said, who in the world is David? Who is this guy? Who is the son of Jesse? I don't know who that guy is, and I'm not paying him anything. He basically tells David, get lost. You want a handout. I'm not giving you anything. I don't know you. I don't respect you. I'm not paying you a dime. You can go drop dead. He clearly doesn't know who he's talking to. He clearly doesn't know who David is. He doesn't know who he's messing with. And that almost cost him his life. That almost cost him his life. You see, after David gets word that Nabal's not going to pay him, well, he explodes. He is furious. He loses self-control. He turns into a totally different David than what you find in the previous chapter. He is not that guy anymore. He is not the kind, merciful, gracious, compassionate David who's going to let God avenge his enemies. No, that guy's gone right now. David tells his 400 guys, saddle up, get your weapons. We're going out there and I'm going to kill this man. You ever been so mad before you wanted to kill somebody? That's how David is right now. He wants to kill this man. He says, I've reached my limit. I can't take it anymore. I'm tired of people doing me in. I'm tired of people mistreating me. I'm tired of people taking advantage of me. I'm tired of people treating me poorly. We are going to go over there and we are going to kill this man. David's determined to kill Nabal. He is not the same guy that says, well, I'll let God take care of it. No, this is a different David right here. And so let's keep up with let's pick up with the story. Look at verse 14. Will you read with me this morning? It's going to be a lengthy section here, but please pay attention to what the Holy Spirit has to say. David is on his way to kill Nabal because Nabal won't pay him. And in verse 14, of 1 Samuel 25, it says, But one of the young men told Abigail. She told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he scorned them. Yet the men were very good to us, and we were not insulted, nor did we miss anything as long as we went about with them while we were in the fields. In other words, David's men, they took care of us. They protected us while we were doing our work as shepherds. They were a wall to us both by night and by day, all the time we were with them tending the sheep. Now, therefore, know and consider what you should do. Notice how they go to Nabal's wife with this. For evil is plotted against our master and against all his household. And he's such a worthless man that nobody can speak to him. You ever met someone like that before? Can't talk to him. That's how they feel about their master. Can't talk to this man. Well, then Abigail, verse 18, hurried and took 200 loaves of bread and two jugs of wine and five sheep already prepared and five measures of roasted grain and 100 clusters of raisins and 200 cakes of figs and loaded them on donkeys. She said to her young men, go on before me. Behold, I'm coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal. No, no point in telling him. It came about as she was riding on her donkey and coming down by the hidden part of the mountain that behold, David and his men were coming down toward her. So she met them. 
Now David has said, surely in vain I have guarded all that this man has in the wilderness, so that nothing was missed of all that belonged to him, and he has returned me evil for good. May God do so to the enemies of David, and more also, if by morning I leave as much as one male of any who belong to him. I'm about to go wipe this man out. I'm going to kill him, and I'm going to kill everybody that's in his house. I'm going to kill everybody, David says. Verse 23, when Abigail saw David... She hurried and dismounted from her donkey and fell on her face before David and bowed herself to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, on me alone, my Lord, be the blame. I'll take the blame for this. And please let your maidservant speak to you and listen to the words of your maidservant. Please do not let my Lord pay attention to this worthless man, Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has restrained you from shedding blood and from avenging yourself by your own hand. Now, then, let your enemies and those who speak against my Lord be as Nabal. Now, let this gift which your maidservant has brought to my Lord be given to the young men who accompany my Lord. Please forgive the transgression of your maidservant. For the Lord would certainly make for my Lord an enduring house. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord, and evil will not be found in you all your days. Shall anyone rise up to pursue you and to seek your life? Then the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. But the lives of your enemies he will sling out as from the hollow of a sling. And when the Lord does for my Lord according to all the good, that he has spoken concerning, concerning you and appoints you ruler over Israel, this would not be a cause of grief or trouble or a troubled heart to my Lord, both by having shed blood without cause and by my Lord having avenged himself. When the Lord deals well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. I want you to ponder on those verses for just a moment or two. I want you to notice how when David is mad, when he is furious, when he is ready to go and kill a man in cold blood, he meets Somebody. He finds somebody. He finds a treasure. Now, this treasure that he finds here doesn't come in the form of gold and silver. Instead, it comes in the form of a woman. It comes in the form of a woman named Abigail. Notice how Abigail is first introduced to us actually in verse 3 of this chapter. In verse number three of this chapter, the Bible describes her as the wife of Nabal, and she is beautiful. Now, that's important because it's not too often in the Bible that we have people's appearance focused on. You don't find that too often in the Bible. It's very rare. It's very rare for the Holy Spirit to give us a description of somebody's appearance. This woman is described by the Holy Spirit as a beautiful woman. She is a beautiful woman. She's beautiful in appearance, but she's not just beautiful. She's also intelligent, the scripture says. Now, that's a great combination. She's beautiful and she's intelligent. She's very, very smart. In fact, not only is she intelligent, but in the verses we just read, we also see she's the complete opposite of her husband. She's not like her husband. Her husband, Nabal, is a fool. In fact, in verse 25, we learn that his name actually means fool. Was his mother a prophetess? Because he's living up to his name. 
He's his name really means fool. He is a fool. He's a foolish man. And not only is he a fool, but the Bible says he's worthless. And he is cruel and unreasonable and greedy and stingy and unfair and ungodly. He is everything bad under the sun. But his wife, Abigail, she's everything good. Nabal is a fool. But Abigail is wise. She's a wise woman. When she learns of her husband's foolishness and how he had offended the wrong person and David and his men were coming out there to kill him, well, she uses some good judgment and discernment. She comes up with a plan. She comes up with a solution that not only will save Nabal's life, but it also will, will protect David. It will protect David's reputation as he is soon about to make his way to the throne of Israel. This is a beautiful, intelligent, and wise woman. But not only is she wise, she's also a woman of action. Do you see that? She doesn't just have good information and good judgment and discernment. Now, this is a woman of action. She has a plan, and she executes that plan. She doesn't wait on her husband to do the right thing. She knows he's a fool. He's never going to do the right thing. He's a stubborn fool who's stuck in his ways. But she says, I'm going to go do something. The Bible says she meets David on the road. As David's going to make making his way to Nabal, she meets him on the road and she blocks his path. She blocks his path, not only with her beauty, but with every man's kryptonite. And that is a good home cooked meal. <laughs> she got a home cooked meal. She got some food for two hungry, two, 200 hungry, angry, vengeful men. That's every man's kryptonite right there. She's got food for these hungry men, but she doesn't just have food. She also has humility, doesn't she? Very humble. Her husband may not know who David is, but she does. She knows who he is. And the scripture says she falls on her face before him and she bowed to the ground. She shows him respect. She shows him kindness. She begs for his mercy. She acknowledges that her husband is wrong. She acknowledges that he's living up to his name. He's a worthless fool who in all honesty, he deserved what David was going to do to him. She also gives David the provisions that her husband should have given him in the first place. And she also takes it upon herself to make things right. She begs for his forgiveness. She calms David down. She takes the initiative to clean up this mess. It reminds me of what Solomon said. If you remember in Proverbs 15 and verse 1, Solomon, the son of David, wrote this in Proverbs 15 and verse 1. He says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Isn't she living up to that? Gentle answer turns away wrath. She's wise. And she's a woman of action. But I believe probably the most impressive thing about her is this. She points David back to God. She's a woman of God. She helps David understand that getting vengeance, that wasn't good. 
That not only wasn't good for her husband Nabal, but it also wasn't good for David. It wasn't in David's best interest. She points out to David that if you do this, if you murder this man, if you get your own revenge, you're not going to please God. You're not going to honor God. You're going to forfeit God's protection. You're going to have a stained record as you make your way to the throne of Israel. It's interesting how Abigail knows that David's going to be the next king. She knows about the promise of God. She knows that he's on his way to the top. He's on his way to the throne. And she believes that God is with him and God is protecting him and God is fighting for him. And she wants David to realize that vengeance is not the answer. Getting your own vengeance is not the answer. It's not going to glorify God. It's not going to honor the Lord. What she tells David you need to do is you need to keep trusting God. Keep trusting that God's going to take care of you. Keep trusting that God's going to watch over you. Avoid letting this worthless fool cause you to sin, stain your good name, and do something that you're going to regret when you make it as king and look back on your life. That's what Abigail, that's what Abigail's telling him. In these verses. And so here's the question. Question is, how's David going to respond to that? <laughs> how's he going to respond to a beautiful woman with a good home cooked meal and a lot of wisdom? Well, let's look at what the scripture says. We go back to verse 32. We go down to verse 38. Verse 32 says that after David heard this speech from Abigail. He said to her, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed be your discernment, your wisdom. And blessed be you who have kept me this day from bloodshed and from avenging myself by my own hand. Nevertheless, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has restrained me from harming you unless you had come quickly to me, surely there were not been left to Nabal until the morning light as much as one male. I would have wiped everybody out had you not, had you not came here. I would have killed them all. So David received from her hand what she brought him, and he said to her, Go up to your house in peace. So I have listened to you and granted your request. Then Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, he was holding a feast in his house, like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk, so she did not tell him anything until the morning light. But in the morning, when the wine had gone out of Nabal, his wife told him these things, and his heart died within him. Maida had a heart attack. His heart dies within him, so he became a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck him, and he died. I want you to notice three things that happens here in this part of the text. First, notice how after hearing the wisdom and judgment and discernment of Abigail, the scripture says, David listened. He listened to her. He showed her kindness. He's blown away by her. He's blown away by her wisdom and her discernment. He is persuaded by the things that she says. He listens to her. She stops him from going to kill Nabal, but she also goes home. You see that? She goes home. She goes back to her husband, even though her husband is a foolish, evil, worthless man. Abigail continues to be devoted to him. 
She continues to love him, even though he's very, very unlovable. But it wouldn't be long before God got involved. On the night when Nabal is getting drunk and he's just parting it up, Abigail's words to David came to pass. God got the vengeance for him. God got involved. God took care of Nabal. Something happened to Nabal's heart. And 10 days later, God struck him and he died. God killed this enemy of David. And after he's out of the way, well, David said, let me jump on in there. He married Abigail. He married her. And the rest of the chapter we see that he's so impressed with her that as soon as Nabal's out of the picture, he proposed to her and he married her. She became one of his wives. He felt he had to have her in his life. This is a powerful story. I'm sorry, this is a powerful story. And often an overlooked story in the life of David. And so let me close with this. Let me close by giving you three admonitions. Let me give you three practical admonitions from this moment in David's life. First, let me admonish us with this. Let me urge us, let me urge us not to be like Nabal. Let's not be like Nabal. Let's not be fools. Let's not be arrogant. Let's not be unfair and unreasonable and the kind of people who are always looking to take advantage of other people. Let's not be mean. Let's not be cruel and ugly to other people, and greedy, and just worthless people that nobody can talk to and give wise counsel. Let's not be like Nabal. Let's not be husbands like Nabal. Let's not be fathers like Nabal. Let's not be bosses on our job or supervise on our jobs like Nabal. Let's not be neighbors like Nabal. Let's not be leaders in the church like Nabal. Let's not be Christians or disciples of Jesus like Nabal. We don't need Nabals in the church. But unfortunately, there are a lot of Nabals in the church. I mean, if you know that, let's not be like Nabal. And instead, let's be like David. Let's be the kind of people who are willing to listen to other people. We're humble. We can be reasoned with. You can talk to us. We'll listen to godly counsel from other people. We'll stop in our tracks when someone points out to us that we're about to do something wrong. We'll calm down. We'll get a hold of ourselves. We'll change our course when someone with godly counsel helps, helps us see a better way. In Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 15, in Proverbs 12 and verse 15, Solomon says the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. That's David. Let's avoid being like Nabal. Let's be like David. And I think it's appropriate that we say, especially today, that we need to thank God for the Abigails. We need to thank God for the Abigails. Let me ask you a question. Do you have any Abigails in your life? You got any Abigails? I'm going to tell you about me this morning. I interact with an Abigail every single day. I'm blessed to 
talk with an Abigail, eat with an Abigail, raise a family with an Abigail every single day. Every single day I'm blessed to share life with an Abigail. I'm blessed to share life with a woman who's wise. She has amazing judgment and discernment. She helps me when I begin acting like a fool, which is much of the time. She's a woman of action. She's a woman of action in the service of God. She is a peacemaker when my temper starts getting the best of me and I want to go and be a peace breaker. When I get fired up, when I get amped up, when I got anger in me and rage because somebody or something has made me just mad, she doesn't add fuel to the fire. She doesn't, she doesn't put any more logs on that fire. Instead, she tries to put the fire out. She calms me down, helps me have foresight, understanding, helps me understand that, that conflict and vengeance is not going to make things better. Helps me see that I may do something I'm going to regret. She's amazing and reminded me of God. She's amazing and reminded me of how I react in situations when I only impact me, but it's going to impact God. It's going to impact my relationship with God. It's going to impact how God views me, how God sees me. It's going to maybe damage my influence. It may hinder my ability to be effective as I try to do God's work. I, I, I'm, I'm blessed. I have Abigail in my life. And I hope you have Abigail, an Abigail or Abigails in your life as well. I'm pretty sure you do. In fact, if you do, how about you do this today? Make sure you take some time today to go to a quiet place, men, and thank God for the Abigails. Thank God for the Abigails. Thank God for your Abigail wife. Thank God for your Abigail mother or your Abigail grandmother. Thank God for your Abigail daughter or your Abigail granddaughter. Thank God for every Abigail's in your, in your life because they are hard to find. But I just want you to see this morning, he's doing a very dark and difficult time in his life. David found himself a treasure. He found a treasure. It wasn't silver, wasn't gold, wasn't several watts of thousands of thousands of dollars. Instead, it was the wise and godly counsel of a woman named Abigail. Abigail was a treasure. And if we have Abigails in our lives, guess what? We have a treasure. We have wise and godly women who can help make us better. In fact, speaking of treasure, it's probably the greatest treasure we have in our lives. It's not Abigail's, but it's this right here. It's the Bible. Remember, Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7 that we have this treasure in earthen vessels. The gospel is a treasure. It's the greatest treasure. And if you're here this morning and you need to respond to the gospel for the first time, you, you have an opportunity to do so. If you need to express faith in Christ and repent of your sins and be immersed in the waters of baptism, we will help you with that. Or if you're here this morning, and you need to repent because you are a Christian who's been living a foolish life, a sinful life. We'll pray with you and pray for you this morning. Whatever spiritual needs you may have, come to the front right now. Let's stand. Let's sing together.